I always and will always continue to encourage people to just say the facts. A factual message is not a one-up message. It's not a submissive message. It's not a one-down message. It's a neutral message that is a factual message. And regardless of who comes at you with whatever character attacks they might have, the facts are the best way to go. I think we've all been there. That place where someone says something to us that just hits us like a big ch, and we don't even really know what to say. This is something that so many of you have asked me about over the years. What do I say when someone says something horrible about my kid or me or my family or just trans people in general? I've heard from some of you that you want to fight back, while others of you are more concerned about how to educate, and still others are more concerned about preserving important relationships and navigating the terrain of transphobia and ignorance. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. Transphobia is all around us and often inside us. As parents, we face it in everyday conversations with our colleagues, family members, and friends. Our kids face it in school, from peers, from teachers, and from friends. One of the biggest concerns I hear from parents after a child comes out is not about the medical stuff. It's about the everyday stuff. They say, their life is just going to be so much harder. Yes and no, because I still believe that it would be much harder to have to live your entire life not being able to be who you are. But when we dig into that statement, they're really worried about the way the world will treat their child. And the truth is, the world isn't going to be all that nice. There are allies all over the place that will support you and your family. There will be teachers that you find over the years. Teachers like Flint, who you heard from earlier this season, and teachers like Mitch, who you're going to hear from later this season. That can be a safe person for your child to turn to and will help them thrive. And then there are the ignorant people, the bigots and the bullies. In school, when kids are being bullied, they're taught to tell the bully, stop, I don't like that, please don't do it again. Or they're told to ignore it, walk away until a grown up. Schools around here have a quote-unquote zero-tolerance policy on bullying. And at my own kid's school, they're taught to recognize, report, and refuse bullying behaviors. They even made a lovely stop-motion video with Legos about it. And while the video is cute, it doesn't actually teach the kids what they need to know in order to extinguish bullying behavior, and it leaves parents without many tools to help. So I sought out some support from an expert in communication with a specific focus on anti-bullying awareness. Today's guest is Jamie Hamilton, a communications professor who knows that communication is the magic with which all relationships are created and destroyed. Jamie's passion is to teach people how to communicate in ways that enhance the areas of their life that matter most. Because all human behavior has communicative value, we can conclude that communication is a fundamental skill that is widely underestimated. It is in every fiber of our humanity, and without it, we would not exist. Jamie has garnered an academic platform of excellence while teaching in higher education for over 20 years. It's her dream to connect the world of academia with everyday human behavior so that we can understand the world around us in more meaningful ways. Her teaching techniques, combined with her real-life experiences, allow her to shine a light on new and innovative ways to communicate. She believes that relationships are the core of our human nature. And I don't disagree. 
it comes down to connection for me. She wants to share what she knows so that we can cultivate relationships that help us achieve our full potential. She founded the Calm Experts, a communication consulting and coaching company with the hope of teaching effective communication skills beyond the walls of higher ed. I first came across Jamie on TikTok. I know, you've heard that a lot from me this season. There's a lot of good stuff on TikTok. There's also a lot of crap on TikTok. There's also a lot of things that aren't even related to mental health at all, like just dog videos on TikTok. She was responding to a comment about how she would advise a child to stop the bullying behavior at school. I'll put a link to Jamie's TikTok in the show notes, but you can find her at The Communication Expert on TikTok and Instagram. Her message was consistent across the videos that I watched, and I watched a lot of them. It was teaching kids how to keep their power with neutral responses. This technique makes so much sense for me. But my favorite part about it was the idea of talking about the child's personal power and how that could spill over into the other parts of that kid's life. When I reached out to her, she was an immediate yes to the podcast. Our conversation was so rich that we've actually decided to partner and do an event to prepare kids and you for the return to school with an online event where you and your kids will be able to ask directly about specific situations that you have. Be sure to keep an eye out on the Instagram and the Facebook and all the socials so that you don't miss out. Also, I just want to take a second to remind everyone that there's a Camp Wildheart community Facebook group. It's private, and there's also a Discord group, also private. So if you want to get on the Discord server, you have to email me at camp at wildheartsociety.org, or there's a link embedded in the Facebook group. So if you join the Facebook group, then you can get to the Discord server. I'll be really honest, the Discord server, not super active. Facebook group, much more active and full of just really awesome families and awesome parents who just really are trying to get it right. If you're new to camp, I highly recommend you go back to season one and episode one and listen from there. This episode will be here when you're ready for it. And if you're like me, you'll probably binge the whole show and then be back here before you know it. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jamie. One of the things that I talk to parents a lot about when I'm supporting them through just navigating what it's like to have a teenager and a teenager, right, is that they don't realize that the school day, when we were kids, right, the school day ended and you got to leave and your bullies stayed behind. And if your kid's connected in social media in any way, shape, or form, that doesn't happen. The day doesn't end. They follow them home. They're in their pocket. Yeah. So what you've got going on, and I'm going to let you, like, I want to hear all about it. Um, But like, uh, it's so important. So I'm so excited when I stumbled upon your stuff and I was like, oh my God, this is a, this is a thing. This is a real thing. And these are so good. So I'm glad you did because I was hacked two months ago and lost my TikTok account completely, um, which is very devastating. I was fished actually. Um, but I lost all of my 307,000 followers and we're starting over. So it, I'm I'm fortunate that a lot of people found me and we connected on email before my account was taken over by hackers. So it, it's a it's a beautiful thing that um, that we've been able to connect. And I feel like people need tools in their toolbox to help navigate some of the things. And while my ideas and my uh, theoretical approaches to this very real world hurt might not be a one size fits all. It sure is a one size fits most. 
And I think that's a very important aspect um, to consider, certainly as we move forward with some suggestions and ideas. But I can't wait to tell you about it. Tell me, like, I know you're a professor of communications um, and you had and will have again, I'm confident, a strong TikTok following. Um, But that explains why I had to follow you again. It's been my goal to like get out and put everything out again. You know, the new approach is, is it's an approach that hopefully can give voice to the people who need to have a voice within that context. So, um, yeah, so I'm a professor of communication studies. I um, have taught at a top 10 school. After teaching at um, IU, Indiana University, for several years, I uh, went down to uh, Florida State College in Jacksonville. It's a little tiny community college. My husband's job transferred us there. Um, at Jacksonville, I noticed that my students, um, now I don't come from uh, a kind of this rich, in a way, um, family background, right? My father was abusive. He went to prison on my testimony. You know, like it was a really hard history for me as a child. So we lived in poverty. I ate grits every morning because we couldn't afford it. There were bugs in our house, you know, like really bad, harsh situations. And so it's not like I was um, omit or removed from that or understanding what that felt like. When I went to Jacksonville, I noticed that my students, A, were not from privileged backgrounds where they had money. Uh, A lot of them were prostitutes. Many of them were homeless, sleeping in their car. Um, uh, dealing with all kinds of um, substance abuse issues at home or themselves. And so talking to them, you know, uh, they just didn't have a whole lot. And they were there to change the course of their life. But the kind of effort that the students put into um, a scenario or a context where they're trying to change the course of their life with education is a little different than privileged kids who go because they're forced to, right? And so I I found that asking my students one day, you know, let's talk about bullying, because I had this crazy idea to use this specific type of uh, theoretical underpinning um, by Rogers and Miller, who are, you know, famous in our field and talking about relational dynamics, uh, power dynamics in relationships. And I thought, you know what, I have this crazy idea, and I'm kind of a thinker, and I'm like, I'm going to see what my students have to say about this first, right? So I said, I want to know what are some of the worst bullying messages that people have ever said to you ever? And they were like, you're, you're so fat, you know, you're ugly, you're so stupid. And then one girl raised her hand, she goes, I had a person in my school tell me every day that I should go kill myself. And I was like, I don't remember kids in our generation ever saying stuff like that to us. Like, Maybe they did, but I was I was oblivious to it, right? And I was subject to some bullying, and so, but never quite like the the rhetorical construct that is being used today. And I was like, oh, wow. And so I wrote it big on the board: "Go kill yourself." I said, if you were to use, and we can dive into this in much more detail, but just as an example of where all of this came from, I said, if you were to use a message that challenged that power, what would you say? They were like you go kill yourself, you know, right? And I was like, right, that's a that's a, a perfect message that, that demonstrates that you are challenging their power. It's called a one-up message. I said, what if you used a message that was submissive? What would it look like? And they would just say, well, you just not say anything or walk away. That's right, because that would be considered, according to Rogers and Miller, a very one-down or submissive type of message. 
And I said to them, both of those messages illustrate to the person who is sending the message, go kill yourself, that their message is dominant or domineering, and therefore they are dominant. They're like, what? I said, what if you sent a neutral message, something that made you feel like you had some power, but didn't illustrate power to the person sending this, this domineering message? And they were like, mm. I said, what if you said, no thanks, I enjoy living? And they're like, that would work. I said, great, let's practice. I need somebody to come up here and really ream me. They're like, okay, great, I'll do it. So this big old guy comes up, he stands in front of me, and he's like, go kill yourself. And I went, no thanks, I enjoy living. And then I turn and I walk away. And he's like, uh, uh, it. <laughs> I said, you don't have power because I didn't illustrate to you that you had power. And so the theory really comes into, or the, pra the practical application really comes into play when we recognize that the only way a bully carries power is if we, as the receiver of the bullying message, give them power. They don't choose if they have power. That's not up to them in communications. The receiver chooses it. So if we can teach kids how to send a neutral message that disarms the bully because they are not shown or validated that they have power, then it leaves the person being bullied with confidence because they're actually able to use their voice, which is huge. And it disintegrates, if you will, or disarms the situation, allowing for the bully to go, wait a second, what, how do I, I don't, but you're supposed to respond like human behavior would say that you're supposed to respond to me because I just said something domineering to you and you have to say something that validates my message of domineeringness, right? And that's, that's what we're trying to cut off right there at the middle. And so, you know, when, when kids are faced with a compromising situation, somebody says, go kill yourself. The response needs to be, no thanks, I enjoy living. And then walk on with your life. Because there is no rebuttal that would, even if there were, no, you don't, you don't enjoy living, you're miserable, da, da, da. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is take one step into the space of the bully for the bully to recognize they have no power. It doesn't matter. The subsequent messages after make zero difference. So it, it, my whole goal is to really teach kids and grownups and women and minorities and those who are marginalized how to use this this powerful tool, right? But it, it's a it's a construct that we have to change in our culture because our construct says the person who sends the message is the one who determines the power. That is absolutely not the case. I tried to think of a really good example for this. And so I, I, I thought of one. It's like if somebody were to say to you, you know, I'm hungry, right? And your response is, oh, it's a really nice day outside. That response gives you power because you are responding, you are recognizing that there's a message that has been sent. But at the end of the day, the message that um, the message that they are sending is not validated. What would validate that message is, oh, you're hungry? Let's go get something to eat. 
right? That validates what they said. Um, it, it makes the assumption that you heard them, that you respect what they have said, and you're going to move on with your life, right? Together, doing whatever it is that has been recommended. Let's go get food. Let's go get food. Oh, this beautiful message I had as soon as we launched TikTok, this uh, woman messaged me in my uh, my inbox, my email, and said, I have a daughter who is having a hard time because she's not really verbal. She's verbal, but she doesn't articulate her thoughts very clearly. She's in elementary school. The kids on the bus keep bullying her, saying really mean things to her. I mean, awful, right? Mean things to her. And I said, um, I said, I want you to have her respond with pancakes. And they're like, she goes, pancakes? I said, respond with pancakes. Why? Because it doesn't matter what message they're sending to her. She can say anything. She could say microphone. She could say computer, light, sunshine. I mean, it doesn't matter as long as she is using her voice, number one, to build confidence in responding, recognizing the message was sent. Number two, sending a message that does not feed the domineering message that was sent to her. Therefore, lending the person who's trying to be dominant over her completely useless. A lot of the problems we have with um, like bully, anti-bully websites, especially in the United States, is they teach people to just walk away. Or they teach people to use sarcasm. And before I decided to launch this type of uh, applied communication app uh, application, I really wanted to research what people were saying to kids to do, right? And my response to always is never to walk away unless you feel like you're in legit danger, right? If you feel like you're going to be physically harmed, walking away is certainly an option. Um, getting help, doing whatever you need to make yourself feel safe. But walking away when somebody says, you know what? You're so fat. I don't even know how you fit on a seat, you know, is not an option, right? Because walking away is a one down message. It shows the bully that they are dominant because we have told them they are by responding in a submissive way. Now, if we respond with, um, nope, and then you continue doing what you're doing, you negate the message. You don't give them an opportunity to respond. And even if they do respond, it doesn't matter because you've already negated their power. I also tell people uh, to tell their kids to say factual things. You know, for example, I have, uh, there's a TikTok that I have out right now that's about a transgendered girl and they keep uh, telling her that she's a boy. And it, it crushes me because kids are truly very cruel. Uh, not always, not, I, th I don't think by natural um, instinct. Some kids are, are genuinely very cruel. And I think every behavior has a communication link associated with it. There's a reason they're cruel. And getting to the bottom of that is, is a very important thing. But at the end of the day, when a trans you know, girl is told that she is not a girl or what gender are you, right? My response always is just respond with the facts. Well, what gender are you? I'm a, I'm a girl. And then don't linger for more conversation. Just walk on with your business. If they can respond with the truth, the facts, the, the space that they believe themselves to be is the most powerful space they have. Nobody can come into the space unless they let them. And if they are targeted with messages that come into their space, they have every power to reject it and push it right back out with a message 
that says, um, a girl, cheers, you know, and then walk on with your life. That's what we're really teaching kids to do in all facets. And um, I believe that the tools can be very helpful because they build the confidence that kids need to actually use a voice that they have in a context where schools are not necessarily um, protecting kids. As I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about like kids that I work with as well as my own kids, and I'm thinking about how that would be something that I think would be important to practice, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you you need to, and I always tell people uh, to role play with their kids. Like my daughter, you know, what do you say if somebody calls you uh, stupid? What do you say if uh, a kid comes up to you and says, you're so stupid? And she looked right at me and she goes, don't care. And then walked off. Now, what she, she is seven and she's got herself a little <laughs> sass okay, up in the chair. I was like, Okay, girl. Um, I'll have to post it so everybody can see it because she's just the cutest thing. But it's interesting because the word don't care or I don't care can be perceived as, okay, yeah, I don't care. I I accept that. I'm not bothered by it, right? Or it can be perceived as, I don't care what you say, right? And so with this understanding of messages and that they come with a varied type of meaning, depending on the person, the perspective of the person, what we call frame of reference, or the situation or how they are, it doesn't matter as long as the person feels confident in what they say. So every time I teach or I coach kids or parents to talk to kids, I always say, I don't care, doesn't mean that you accept the message. It means I don't care what you think, okay, except you're leaving off the what you think, okay, I don't care. And then move on with your life, right? It's it's a powerful thing. Um, and you can teach kids from the very beginning, but that role play is absolutely important because kids, I mean, I try to put myself into a scenario where I am um, immediately in conflict, right, with somebody. Um, your brain does not operate in the same way in a neutral situation, okay? You are, there are all kinds of things happening in your body and in your brain. I was taking my girls, um, my kids, all of them, from a very busy parking lot the other night because um, my middle child had this big performance. And I mean, it was like at, I mean, there was a jumbotron, right? It was a oh my huge, gosh. huge. And this guy, almost, like we were standing in front of his truck and he's not going anywhere. There's cars everywhere. And he like jolted his truck, truck moved forward. And I turned around and like I gave him the eyeball look, right? I was the, you just try it right? Don't you dare move out in front. My kids are in front of your car. I will kick you. I will, listen, bring it, right? (laughs) (laughs) You just try. And he rolled, he had the audacity to roll his window down as I was passing by and say, don't you give me a stink eye. And I thought, okay, this could go two ways. But in that moment, the amount of anxiety that runs through a person when they're being attacked verbally is very difficult to control what comes out of your mouth, which is why role play is so important. The more they practice, the more that they can do it. Uh, my response was, that's all right, bro. We're in this together. <laughs> A total neutral message. And he rolled up his window and I went about my business, right? I could have responded with, I'll give you whatever stick out, uh-huh. right? You almost ran over my kids. Or I could have just walked away, not said anything. Uh, what do I teach my children who are there watching, right? You know? Uh, you don't you don't walk away, especially from you know a privileged man is sitting in his big old <laughs> truck like a, bring it on you know I don't have a problem coming at you but I would like to not come at you 
in this space. So I'm going to use a neutral message and uh, diffuse it and walk on with my life. And I think we need to role play a lot with kids because it teaches them how to uh, how to respond in very tense, anxiety-ridden situations. So yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I talk about practice with kids a lot in all kinds of different ways. I talk about with practice with parents all the time. Like the best time to teach your kid how to calm down is when your kid is calm. The best time to, um, if you learn to change a tire by, you know, like watching a, somebody change a tire, like your parent teaches you or whatever, you're probably going to have to practice that a few times before you can change the tire independently on the side of the freeway. So it's, it's one of those, like we, we practice things that we aren't good at and it's, or unskilled at. We need to develop a skill we practice. This is the same sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And without it, we just send them into a very difficult situation to fend for themselves. And it's just really hard. So you know, build confidence. You got to work with your kids. And there are a lot of kids who don't have that opportunity, you know, to work with parents or parents who don't have an opportunity to work with them because they come from difficult family lives like I did. Right. And in those situations, uh, my number, my my inbox, my email is right there. I have no problems with parental consent or you know, a guardian consent to sit with you on a Zoom call and practice. I'll say all the awful things to you, right? So you can gain some confidence in the response. I mean, kids can just, I, I should just set up a, you know, big old live chat and just say, okay, throw them at me and I'll, I'll just, and then we'll just practice. That'd um, be amazing. Uh, because they need the practice. And if we can change the way that we view messages and the the power dynamics of those, then uh, I think that we can change we can change the world with it, you know. So give kids some confidence; they deserve to have a voice, especially especially with all the um, the political dynamics and culture that's happening. I can't like I can't. I'm just mortified by all of it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm happy with any of it right now. You know, it's a particularly difficult time to be a trans kid in the world. Um, that with a lot of states trying to legislate away their rights to health care. I've known several parents who've moved from other states. And because the world is so much bigger or smaller, it's more small, the world is smaller for kids than it used to be, right? Like they just have access to so much more of it. So I don't know if that makes it bigger or smaller. I don't know. They have friends online, right, that are in these other states is my point. And so even though these things aren't happening where we live in Washington, um, they are happening to their friends and people that they know. And it, so it all feels very, very close. Um, so it's a tough time for sure. Yeah. And trying to navigate that is, um, is very difficult, especially when they're also trying to censor language, right? You can't identify, you can't say this, you can't even assume to be X, Y, Z. I always and will always continue to encourage people to just say the facts. A factual message is not a one-up message. It's not a submissive message. It's not a one-down message. It's a neutral message that is a factual message. And regardless of who comes at you with whatever character attacks they might have, um, the facts are the best way to go. And um, I hope the political climate changes um, for our kids because it's disastrous for their mental health. And, you know, any way we can give them a voice is you know, is perfect. I love this idea of being able to help all of these kids that I work with and all the kids that like listen and watch TikToks to have like 
oh, this is what I do here. That's great. Because the just ignore it message that my mom gave me doesn't feel great and makes me feel like I don't have any power. The most hilarious uh, recommendation is use sarcasm or humor. <laughs> and my response is always, I don't know how many kids, A, can pull off sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, I know my seven-year-old could, but my other two probably not okay, right? Um, and humor is not something that is readily accessible in a moment like that, like you just laugh at yourself. That's not an option. Or my the the part the one that I hate the most is just supporting all kinds of toxic culture. Is um, go to another place to play. Oh, just sleep. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Go stand by a teacher. Oh, mm. yeah. So we're actually launching an anti-bully curriculum nationally, a six-step process. I cannot wait. We are. Um, uh, I developed the company called The Calm Experts. Um, you'll be able to find us online, thecomexperts.com. Uh, as a part of that, a master class is coming out that I've just finished. I'm so excited about that. So uh, so it's just an introductory, introductory uh, communication. Uh, but a lot of these things we talk about. And so I'm excited to launch this six-step process because a part of that is the illustration and the understanding of the use of neutral messages and the the practical communication application that comes with that. And really step-by-step, step, and we're asking students to participate in certain ways um, in order to help eliminate. And we're actually, too, and a lot of people are like, what's going on with the bully? You know, what about the bully? Well, we address that within the curriculum as well, the six-step curriculum. So in that, we really do address the situation with the bully as well, because we want them to, um, we want them to change their framework right? We don't want them to come to school feeling like they have to be a bully. There's actually a, a wonderful reward in helping people. Bullies have not experienced that. They don't know what that feels like, right? And so part of it, and I'll give you a sneak peek into it, part of the curriculum is asking for kids, one child, every single week as you go through the process of the curriculum, one child is different. You assign a child, new child, every week to be the bully moderator or police or whatever you want, you know, um, whatever words they want to put with it, right? That person is responsible to take care of people who are being bullied. And they have a specific criteria. If they are being physically hurt, they go get a grown-up. If there are words being said and you see it, you have to go stand next to them. You don't have to say anything. You just have to stand next to them unless they want to say something. If they do say something, they have to know how to respond with a neutral message. And then they walk with that child who is being bullied for the rest of the time until they feel confident to be on their own again. And so it is, it's a, it's a massive thing because what you do is you allow every student in your classroom to have an opportunity to change the framework and actually help kids, right? Even the bully. So when it's time for the bully's turn, right, they are no longer allowed to be a bully for the week. They actually have to play the other role. And granted, 100%, people are going to come up to them. Um, somebody is really bothering me. Can you help? Sure. What do you want to do? You know, and we'll take them through the process and the curriculum. But the bully then gets to recognize what it feels like to be on the side of helping rather than hurting and it'll change them. It's such a rewarding feeling. I don't know that bullies will go back. I can 
see it over and over and over again. I'm thinking about all these people that I know. I think about parents even that I work with who are having a really hard time being affirming of their kid. Like I come from the foundation that every parent loves their kid um, and they're trying to help no matter what, right? But sometimes parents end up being their child's bully. And I'm thinking about what is happening in those situations and how often I'm thinking, God, if they knew how to help their kid in this situation, they probably would do it a a lot differently. And so just being able to help shift that as well, um, I think would be just an interesting concept um, for me to teach some parents some things about how to. mm -hmm. Yeah, I think validating their feelings is the first step, right? You know, validate what they say. Um, uh, Changing what has occurred is not an option. So recognizing that it has occurred, that it hurts, um, then what can we do to move forward, you know, beyond that space? I totally agree. I think that if we can teach parents how to um, be with their kids, you know, that would be great. But a lot of parents, you're right, are bullies. And a lot of teachers are bullies. And a lot of administration is are bullies. Part of the curriculum, too, is that, you know, we teach kids that, you know, there's a circle of people that you can trust that are in your inner circle, right? And they're the people that you trust to tell you the truth about who you are as a person. Sometimes that's hard to hear, but it's the truth and you trust them, right? But within that circle, a lot of kids have a, just a very typical circle, mom, dad, you know, grandma, auntie, or whatever the case is. But in retrospect, too, we have a lot of kids who have circles of trust that are have parents or guardians that are not people they would trust to tell them the truth about who they are as a person, Right. No, you're not. You're not trans. You need. You, we're going to take you to a, you know, uh, conversion therapy, or you know, you're you're just you're mental. Like we need to get you out. Like yeah, all of these wrong things, with you. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You, you know, God didn't make you like that. You know, whatever the case is, right? So here they have a circle of people that they would hope they could trust, but then it, they they don't. There's a person in there that's really bullying them. So what do they do? Well, they create a subcircle, right? This is how kids ultimately try to protect themselves. It's hard, though, because a lot of kids will feel and become isolated within that. And that's where mental health really becomes a concern because they feel like they're here. They want to trust this this outer circle, but they can't. So they isolate so that they can protect themselves. In that circle, you know, we want kids to be able to um, recognize that they still have the power to control this space right around them. Even though there might be somebody who is forced to be in their circle who is being a bully, but people in the curriculum, they are required to tell another grown-up who is in their circle that they can trust, that they have decided to create a, a subcircle. Because that isolation is where suicide comes in. It's where major depression comes in. We don't want kids to isolate, but they will naturally do that to protect themselves. And so if they're able to connect with dad as being like this, if there's an aunt or a grandma, you need to tell grandma, grandma, this is happening in my circle. I have decided to create a safe circle and I need to know if you're in it. Okay. Right. Then they kind of build the sub circle. My dad told me I was stupid every day of my childhood. Like I had to create a sub circle. Unfortunately, I didn't have anybody in my sub circle, which was sad. I needed that to help with a type of, you know, uh, depression and anxiety and stuff like that that naturally would occur with kids who are being abused and 
being bullied and, you know, negative emotional comments happening. So I, I think that that inner circle is kind of an important process. Well, I, I hope that makes some sense. And how can I help your, um, how can I help the community that my heart is just, I guess I feel just very heavy hearted with, I just want to like bring them into my safe space, you know, um, when they don't feel safe in their space and yeah, what can I do? What do you think? Well, I, I came up with the, I came up with some things that, um, I know that parents hear a lot of, and then I came up with some things that I know kids hear a lot of that I thought maybe I could just, just run by you. Throw them at Okay. Me. So, um, one of the things that I think happens a lot is that for parents in particular, there's, there's two kinds of adversaries. There's the cheap seats adversary, the people that like we don't really have relationships with and they just like hurl things at us. And then we've got people that we actually care about. And I, those are the ones that I think that families trip up the most and they don't know how to respond to. So when a family member that you are close with in many ways says, no, I don't believe that's who you are or you're messing up your child. I can't, I'm not supporting this at all. Um, you can't be around my kids anymore. Um, or they just straight up refuse to use the kid's name and pronouns that are correct. So that's an, it's in just a quick slap in the face. Uh -huh. right? Okay. Uh -huh. That's mind boggling to me. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, first, we're going to recognize the difference between messages, and it's there's a huge axiom. It's a universal principle of communication. There's five of them. One of them is every message has a content and a relational dimension, okay? The content dimension is literally what is being said, okay? Um, I don't believe that's not who you are, okay? That is literally, they believe that you, I mean, you can just take the denotative, the dictionary understanding of each of those words and understand what they are. It's how we're able to communicate and understand each other because we have shared understanding, right? Denotation. The connotation of that is an individual interpretation of the symbols that are being used, right? So if I were to say the word dog to you, you would have probably a picture in your brain of what a dog would be, probably a picture of your dog, and I would have my Great Dane, right? There is a discrepancy, though, because even though we're using the same message, we have a different idea of what's happening. So when we, when we deconstruct a message, we have the content dimension, right, is literally what is being said. But within that, we have denotation and connotation. Now, the other spoke to this content dimension, literal understanding or meaning, is the relational dynamic, okay? So content dimension, relational dimension. The relational dimension is how it is being said. It illustrates the relationship that we have with each other, okay? So like my, uh, my son and I, we have a close relationship. He knows that when I say something to him that I am not intentionally trying to be mean. He knows me as a person, right? We have a but if I say something that's off-putting to him and he doesn't understand, he's like, why are you so mean, right? He can respond like that because he knows me as a person. The way in which I choose to communicate with him illustrates the relationship that I have with him, whether or not it is a submissive or an authoritative position, whether or not it is loving or unkind, respectful or disrespectful. And so when we take a look at this, you know, you have parents who are getting messages from people they don't really care about, right? Because the relational dimension is not there. The message is probably the same, but the relational component is totally different. Therefore, they just don't care as much, right? 
when it is said by somebody who they care deeply about, it so much is about the message, but it is so much more about undermining the relationship that has already been built. And so what happens if you have people who come in and say, you know, I don't believe that's not who you are. You know, you're not really this person, right? What they're saying is they're like, we have had this great relationship up until this moment. And now you are choosing to kill the relationship because you refuse to have an open mind and to learn about science, right? What's <laughs> so, so, the word? <laughs> and so it is so conflicting to people who have uh, deep, meaningful relationships and then something comes about uh, and then those relationships are basically in turmoil based upon not because necessarily of a message, but because they are choosing to disassemble an entire relationship based upon one situation, one truth, right, that has come about. They can't rectify it and therefore it's not worth it. So the relational component is really where the where the struggle is. This is how I choose to respond always um, to family members. And again, you have to be very thoughtful because the way you you the the way you respond is more important than what you respond with, right? More important than the words, okay? Because you can say something totally catty and your words be just fine. It it tells them about the relationship, right? So when parents are responding to um, to family members, they need to consider the relational component, okay? So if they're coming at them saying, I don't believe that's not who you are, my response might be, um, that's too bad because you're going to miss out. What I've done there is I have illustrated the importance of the relationship to me. I don't, you could say anything in the, but you're going to miss out. And that's sad, you know? So that's that's the response I'd probably give with that one. Um, let's see. You can't um, you can't be around my kid anymore. Again, that said, they're going to miss out. Uh, you could even say something. Well, the world's more diverse than you think. You know, that makes me sad. I mean, these are all factual statements that emote um, a response that does not challenge what they say, right? You can't change their behavior. If they are not going to let their kids be around your kids anymore, then good grief, they're a peace, you know? Like there are there are, there's a community of people that we want to surround ourselves with and that's not it, but little children don't understand that peace. And trying to get them to understand it is very difficult. Let's see. Um with the use of pronouns, I would most certainly um say to them, I would just correct them you know, well, she should be doing this when really they would rather use the pronoun they or he, you know, they can just say he would love to. <laughs> uh, grammar correct, if you will, right? Okay, so just correct and then move on with your life. Don't linger. Don't, you're not into a debate. Um, well, she doesn't have the right parts or whatever, right? And you could just be like, um, that is none of your business, <laughs> you know? I mean, they're, they're kind of, in a way, very practical responses. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm so sorry about my dogs. I feel awful. Um, it's, we've, had, we've had many dogs on the show. Uh, Stella is saying hi. Great. Clearly, Great. she is very excited about being on uh -huh. the show. I understand. Um, it's a big deal. Let's do 
Because, uh, <laughs> but I'll send you a picture of her. You can put her up Perfect. On, on your little thing. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Refusing. Okay. Pronouns. Um, let's see. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. Right. And the response there is nope. Mm-hmm. One word, especially for small children. This is key. If you're trying to teach smaller children, elementary age, to use neutral messages, keep them very, very short. They don't remember those long messages, just like me in the parking lot with that guy, right? It was it, it took me a second to come up with a neutral message to respond to him, right? Kids are going to be even shorter time frame, right? So they are, are shorter. Um, they need to have shorter mes- messages because it'll take longer for them to articulate it in a conflicting situation. So those just nope, nope, right? There's something wrong with you. Nope. Um, that's child abuse. Now, I am a snarky human, okay, (laughs) with quite a lot of sass up inside of me. My response initially would always be, you should probably look up the definition of child abuse, period. Well, I know the definition. You're... And if they were... And you could always respond back with, again, not the definition of child abuse. And then walk on with your life, Right. Like, in a way, I hate that um, trans kids and parents of trans kids have to even defend themselves against these sorts of things, right? Because is it their responsibility to defend themselves? No, they shouldn't have to. But given a circumstance where they want to, they should and ought to do so in order to feel confident in their skin. If they don't want to respond to people who are making these sort of accusations, I think when it comes to the climate that we're in today, if they choose to not respond initially, if they can maintain a level of confidence in their self, that is always an option, right? Because when you respond about your own personal identity, it's a little different than telling people to go kill themselves, okay? So when the identity factor comes in, we really have to recognize that it is a very deep, very personal thing that they are responding to. And they get the choice if they want to do that. If they feel like they can't, then they don't have to. If they feel like they need practice and understanding how to, then we'll give them all the tools and the practice that they can if they can walk away and feel just as confident before the message was given to them, then wonderful. I feel like kids who are put in a situation where they are bullied about their identity have to make the best choice for their own personal self, their well-being physically, their well-being mentally, right? If they respond with something like, nope, and then a kid comes up and just wants to shove them and get into a physical altercation, they feel like that might actually happen. Guess what? Just Walking away is always an option, but we never want them to walk away and not tell somebody, right? Because that's when we get to reaffirm, this is, you're right, they're wrong. So trans kids, I feel like, um, really need uh, to recognize that they have quite a lot of power in the way they respond. And uh, if they respond with a message that's neutral, great. I would never respond with a one-up message, ever because it's just going to accelerate communication. It's what we call symmetrical communication. I'm going to domineering, I'm domineering, 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 and then suddenly we have an altercation that's either physical or even more verbal, right? Uh, We don't want to do that. We want to have more of a complementary type of idea. So where somebody has a one-up domineering message, we come at them with either a neutral message. Um, I think our kids who um, are being 
thwarted with bullying messages really have to have the power to choose what is best in their situation. And some kids will not want to say anything at all, but we want to be sure they're talking to somebody about the situation so that if they want to say something, they can get the tools to do so. Because, you know, it takes a lot of strength to talk to somebody about a very personal thing. Yeah, it really does. A lot of courage. Mm -hmm. People don't recognize that. They're like, you know, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to talk to you about, you know, the parts of your body that is none of your business. A hundred percent. And uh, I mean, it's like they wouldn't talk to somebody about their body parts willingly and then having somebody argue with them on whether or not it is true or whether it is false. It, it's 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 completely um, asinine to me. I don't understand it fully. But what I do understand is we can give some kids some power and they deserve it because, you know, they're very valuable humans and they make – we all – I mean, uh, people who are different than us make us think differently about the world around us. And that is such a valuable thing to do. And we should celebrate the differences. Love is love. And – Inclusion is inclusion, and we want to be sure that we're articulating all of those things in our anti-bully curriculum. We're going to teach our kids how to how to be themselves in the space they're in. I'm so excited for it. This is amazing. I'm so excited about this. So one of the things that I know, and we sort of addressed this already um, a little bit, and I run into this a lot in a lot of contexts, um, whenever, anytime we're sort of in boundary setting mode. A lot of people, a lot of families, a lot of kids, they are afraid to respond with their truth or respond in a way that is going to potentially cause separation, right? And even the the message of like, you're really going to miss out, I think is a, it's a very scary message for some parents to say to like their siblings or, or like parents who've spent their entire lives trying to like fit and be in the mix. Um, and so I, I totally understand why it's important to respond that way. And I'm sitting here thinking about, okay, what are parents going to tell me when I tell them that this is what I want them to do? And things like, I don't think I can, I, I don't want to ruin that relationship. I'm not ready to sever that tie. Then do I have to then say like, I can't, we can't, we can't be around them. Like, does that what that means? Um, Oh, that's a good, that's really good. Okay, let's dive into it for a sec. A lot of people will be afraid to respond with their truth because the attachment that they have with the person that they are um, in conflict with is more valuable than it's more valuable than showcasing or articulating their truth. Okay, so they would rather be quiet and secretive in order to maintain a relationship. Okay, let's think about how toxic that is. Okay. So that piece is extremely toxic. And if done over a long period of time, we teach kids that a loving environment is dysfunctional. Okay. Your parents won't want to hear that. I'm positive. It'll be very hard for them. And a lot of them probably won't want to do it um, because it is a very harsh, me harsh message. But they will eventually have to come to a point where they will decide whether or not they are going to sever the attachment of a relationship to protect the loving boundary setting for this other relationship. 
right? If my brother and I had a conversation about this, you know, and he were being mean about, um, you know, let's say I have a trans child and he was being mean about my trans child, but we have history and I'd hate to cut off that relationship because it's so, it's so rich in its history, right? I would have to be fully prepared to sever the relationship to gain the protective barrier in another relationship. Is it worth it? This is where we bring in cost reward theory perfectly. You know, what are the costs in not saying anything because I'm afraid to sever an attachment that I have with somebody to the reward of it? Okay. The reward is I get to continue a relationship and pretend that everything is just fine and dandy and just not worry about any of the comments they're making. Just let them make comments and continue on with my life and letting it hurt me. Right. But I still get to maintain a relationship to say I have a relationship or I have this attachment. You know, what is the cost? Well, you have some mental health issues. You teach your child that it's, you know, okay to have, be in a dysfunctional space. On the flip side of that, you know, what are the, you know, what are the rewards in severing the relationship? Well, you get to create a safe space and you get to teach your child that love is not dysfunctional, right? Love is um, holistically accepting. And that's what you choose to teach your child because the relationship with your child is more important than an attachment that you've had in history. Will the person that you've attached to, uh, that you've chosen to sever the attachment with, actually come about and say, oh yeah, I was wrong. I'm really sorry. That was my bad. Well, chances are that will eventually happen. Maybe, but not today and definitely not tomorrow. The hurt is not because the parent chose to sever the relationship. The hurt is because the relationship that was attached with the parent is a relationship that they now recognize has conditions. And those conditions cannot be met. And therefore, it's very painful for a parent to say, sorry, that's, well, that's really sad. You won't be a part of what's happening, right? It's painful because we want them to love without conditions. They have chosen to love with conditions. Did we choose to sever the relationship? You want them to accept your child, right? And be loving with your child, but they choose not to do that. Therefore, do you as a parent have a choice? Well, we always have a choice, but do we have a choice in the sense that we want to show our children the love and true honor that it is to be their parent in the gender that they are, right? That is more valuable than an attachment with somebody who has given conditions on love. Now, that is my personal perspective. That is so much easier, and communicative perspective, yes, so much easier said than done. Yeah? So much. Because when you want to, when you've attached to somebody, it's like true mama bear <laughs> stuff, right? It's like, it's like, no, I, I don't care. You will not hurt us anymore. We choose to sever that in order to protect what is happening here with our babies. And if there is if there is a grouping of individuals that need to be protected right now in our political environment, it is our trans kids, yeah. period, you know? And if I have to sever a tie with my brother, that will, that will be so heartbreaking, traumatizing. Because it's not because I'm severing the tie. 
it's because I have recognized that there are conditions on their love. And that condition is not something I'm willing to meet. This reminds me also of this thing that I do talk to parents about a lot, which is if this is the best that they can do, what does that mean for you? If this is what your brother is capable of, what does that mean for you and what that means that you have to do for you and for your kid? Right? There's a lot of grief in that. Oh, and it's, it absolutely. And they'll go through the grieving process. And we're not going to say that it's easy. It's actually one of the hardest things that people who need that kind of attachment to do, um, if not almost impossible. Uh, people choose to stay in abusive relationships over long periods of time because they don't want to sever the attachment, right? So I think a lot of that comes down to attachment style. I'm not a therapist, right? I'm a communications <laughs> human. So attachment styles are something to really get into when it comes to that. And if people are having a really hard time um, severing an attachment, I would highly recommend them look into attachment styles and how they can go about doing that in a very healthy way for their own you know, mental safety. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. And um, if parents can't protect their their kids, then, you know, who will, right? And we want to teach our kids that dysfunction and love should not coexist. They're not, they're, they're not the <laughs> same thing, yeah. <laughs> they're not, right. Um, oh, well, they can for a small time, but they need to be rectified and fixed, right? So, you know, you can give a choice, you know, hey, bro, listen, either you're going to be understanding and you're not going to be condescending and rude and say these messages if you want to be a part of our life. I shall let you make that choice, not me, because we want to maintain a great relationship. Um, that's probably the conversation I would have with my brother. That way I'm not choosing. He is, yeah. That's not on me. That's it. It, This is him, right? But that, that's hard. And you do. You grieve it. You'll grieve it from the beginning of the grief stage number one all the way through the all of the processes, you know. And then, like I said, some people do um, come back around. You know, and that's such a healing and beautiful moment. Um, and some people don't. So I'm going to switch into from what parents have to do to what kids have to do. Um, something that happens to kids a lot when they transition is they have, I mean, they often have to stay at this, the school that they were in, right? They don't get to start over someplace new and have a fresh start. And so there's a lot of confusion from their peers a lot of the time, but sometimes there's, kids who maybe knew them from when they were like in the third grade and now they're in the 10th grade and they're still walking around like shouting their their birth name down the hall right or a walking by and just being like Sarah you know um and that happens often um and so how would you encourage a kid to respond what's the neutral message for that so I would, I'm going to guess that they're junior high or high school, or this is probably occurring. Jun yeah, junior high, early high school. Junior high. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So as you go, as you get older, and thankfully the, the curriculum that we end up uh, really launching will be separated in these three areas, elementary school, middle school, and high school, because the way in which communication is received and delivered is so different. You get so many more snarky people in middle school <laughs> than in first grade, yeah. right? So I would actually encourage um, our, our kids who have transitioned um, to respond in equal uh, – okay, it depends on if there's, they're, like, um, running a character attack on them, right? So, like, you know, you're so stupid, right? You're, you're ugly. You're ugly as a boy. Right. You should go back to being a girl. You're hot you as know, a girl. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> Wilm Ho's poetry. <laughs> Thankfully, I get to be hot in both ways. I love it. Um, uh, in your mind, anyway. So, uh, it, it, you know, so I think, um, I think, okay, so like if you're walking by and somebody goes, you know, Sarah, and they identify now as, um, I don't know, give Jason. Name, um, Jason. They can respond with Jason. <laughs> you see, middle school is beautiful for that kind of communication. They're yelling down the hallway. Um, you know, what up, Sarah? You know, and everybody knows they're talking about Jason, right? Jason probably has a couple of friends, okay? A, like, nominate those friends, okay? They need to turn around and they need to go, what up? My name is Jason. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, group together and then turn and don't, don't, if they say something back, just ignore it. One step into the space of the bully or the person making a mean message or creating mean message is all you need and just walk away, right? Chances are they won't do it again because somebody's actually stood up to them, right? This is the formulation of teams, right? And having your peers really in your ba- having your back and the formation of this circle of trust, right? It's a really thank you meet the fuckers, right? So it's a it's a wonderful wonderful thing to teach kids that if somebody is messing with you, then this is what you say. This is how you can respond. Um, th- and they're going to have all kinds of awful awful mes- messages. I would respond as long as it's not a character attack on their intellect. Or their beauty, or um, anything in that regard, um, I would just respond in an equal way. Okay, but I would respond with a fact. Fact, and I would make it as a statement of fact. Jason, fact. Right. <laughs> All right, that's Jason. Thanks. You know, like, oh, do you know what? However, they want to whatever want to speak their truth, um, and a fact sentence or a factual statement doesn't need to be aggressive yeah right it can just be you know the sky's blue pancakes pancakes you know mm-hmm. what you know whatever works for them what about online stuff so this is something i get a lot um from parents in particular so there's the kid stuff um that like the direct comments that kids make but there's also the this other this other thing that happens where um, somebody posts a, an anti-trans article or an anti-trans meme and that's not directed directly towards the parent, but like it's showing up in the parent's feed. Maybe it's the parent's cousin um, or a, a friend they've known or an acquaintance. A lot of parents will want to fire off a nice like long rant science uh-huh science right yeah uh-huh <laughs> okay and um and, and like they generally don't go anywhere right these sort of like internet fights um so how would you recommend like when their blood is boiling they see these things and they want so badly for the world to be the place that their kid is going to be okay is there is there a response it's called the block button. Mm-hmm. Um, so cyberbullying and um, our LGBTQIA and trans community, we um, we need to recognize that cyberbullying is only powerful because the means by which communication is shared from sender to receiver is technological. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a famous um, there's a famous communication scholar. His name is Marshall McLuhan. He coined the phrase. The 
the channel or the means is the message, right? So the way in which the message is shared creates meaning, okay? If we, if we don't have a channel, for example, if we didn't have multimedia to talk, we would not be talking. I would not receive your message. If we didn't have phones, thank God, right, in Gen X and, uh, you know, our early millennials, um, we didn't think this was not an option, right? So we didn't, we weren't bombarded with all that. Um, but today we have kids who are bombarded with it all the time. And you're right. They take it home with them. There's no separation of school time versus this time. It's all kind of congealed together. What I would always recommend is the power for the person who sees a message or a meme like that. The power is always to get rid of the channel. Because if you can control the messages that come into your space, that is massive. Are you severing a relationship? Probably not. Will they even notice that you've not read it? Probably not. Does it give them power? Uh, no, not to you. It's not landed in your, your circle, right, any longer. What I would always recommend with, listen, if I could take uh, social media away from our teenagers, I Me would. Me too. Oh, right? 100%. But at the end of the day, if we could just eliminate the channel, right, then that would be massive. So, but telling our kids that they cannot be connected with their peers in the same way other kids are connected with their peers causes them to be what's called an out group and no longer an in group of information sharing, right? Which is really, really hard. But what they can do is create an in group of people that they trust, right? To be a part of their space. So, and, and families and parents can do the same thing. So if they have a cousin who's throwing out anti-trans uh, memes and just being really rude about the comments, responding back according to their feelings and science and whatever, however else they want to respond to defend the space that they're in is not necessary. They're not going to change their mind. It's an anchoring, anchoring persuasive message, right? Because things like that that are embedded in ethics and religion and things like that are very hard to persuade people to come out of. So their one message response and a giant dialogue is not going to probably change their mind. Will it make them feel better? Maybe for a minute until they respond with something worse, right? So what they can do is just say, you are no longer valuable in my space. Block and move on with your life. Because what you do is you omit those messages from coming into your life. And that's massive. And to realize we have power to do that is huge. Oh, we do this on Facebook. We do this on Instagram. We can do this on TikTok. And it's really a power that we need to like harness. <laughs> Somebody's coming at you. Your dad says, you know, throws you a meme and it's not supposed to land on you, but we know that it's going to land on you. Guess what, dad? I don't need to communicate with you in this channel. Uh, you can call me and say that to my face. Block, right? Anything positive you have, I am going to obviously gain when we talk in person in a different channel, right? So cyberbullying, in my personal and professional opinion, is simply the channel becomes the the means by which a message is communicated. And within that channel, we have power to stop cyberbullying if we can get rid of the channel. Is it practical? Not with everybody, right? However, can we block the, oh, and the messages that I've gotten from parents about cyberbullying? It's heartbreaking, right? And my response is always block the person who is sending it so your child doesn't have to see it. If they see it, they interpret it and internalize it if they're not taught to, you know, another option to do so. If, if it's never even, like, 
if they never even see it, then what a wonderful way to live your life. They don't need they don't need that kind of message thrown at them. Stop giving that person all the power. You have the power. So create your space that is safe, right? The answer to cyberbullying is to create a community of people around your kids that not only monitor what is being said, but also uh, that they are only inviting people into their space that they trust. Jamie, I ca- I cannot thank you enough for your time. Um, Gosh, you're amazing. <laughs> this is you are amazing. I'm like so excited to have been able to sit here and talk with you about this. And oh. if you ever want to do that like live chat thing where we like practice with the kids, I can get Let's you do it. trans kids and we can all come together and we can do it. Let's do it. Okay, you just pop me a message. You say when. Okay. Um, I'll make sure the dogs are not in our space uh, while we do it. But uh, listen, I would, I would, it would be my honor to teach our trans kids how to defend themselves. And honestly, there's no better way than coming from the mouths of our kids who are in the muck. Okay. Oh, such a joy. Thanks Thank so you. much. Do you see? Do you see what I mean? So. Jamie and I will be hosting an online event to support you and your kids as you head back to school. The date hasn't been picked yet, but keep an eye out for it on the social media. Also, if you want to join our newsletter, um, you can email that camp at wildheartsociety.org and we'll send it out that way too. But we're on Instagram as at wild.heart.society and you can find me on TikTok as at realgendertherapist. Like there's like three videos. Thanks again to Jamie for sharing your brilliance and for helping us put an end to online bullying. You can hear from Jamie on TikTok as at the communication expert. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please remember, all of us here at Camp Wildheart, listeners, counselors, we're all here to support you, so don't be a stranger. Today's interview was the result of requests from listeners for words to say when they're faced with transphobic friends and family members. I'm so grateful for, for y'all asking these questions. One person asked, and then another person, and another person. It quickly became evident that this was a whole episode just waiting to happen. So if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You've got the socials, you got the email, you know how to reach me. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows that there's a bunk for them at Camp Wild Heart.